Doctor Who, The Crotons, by Robert Holmes, Episode 1. A dignified man in his fifties stands waiting before a great crystalline wall. At its centre, a short ramp leads up to a closed hexagonal doorway. The construction is at odds with the roughly hewn stonework that forms the rest of the subterranean chamber, the learning hall of the Gons. A small access hatch opens. Reaching inside, the man, Selris, removes a scroll, then turns to face a large gathering of expectant youths, all dressed in simple overalls. Class 3196 in the first grade. The names of the two selected candidates are male, Abugon. Well-wishing friends cluster about the proud student. The second name is female, Varnagon. The girls' friends offer their congratulations, all bar one. No! The dissenter, Thara, pushes through the crowd towards Varna. Selris shoots him a reproving look. Abugond and Vanagond, alone of your generation, you have been chosen to receive the highest honour that can befall a god. You are now the companions of the Crotons. Our warmest, our most sincere congratulations to you both. You will now... You will now step forward for the investiture of your robes of honour. Elect. He nods towards a thick-set man who solemnly helps the waiting Abu into a long, shimmering cloak and places a large metal medallion about his neck. Thara, meanwhile, is remonstrating with Varna. Please, Thara! You can't go. I won't let you go. I must! Look, Varna, we can run away. There's still time. You know that's not possible. We must always obey. Why? Because, my son, it is the law of the Crotons. All eyes turn to the doorway. As it opens upwards, its surface throbs with an inner light. Abu steps into the darkness beyond, and the doorway slides shut. Amidst a black, poisoned landscape of rocks and the occasional petrified tree stump, the blue, police-box shape of the TARDIS takes form. The door opens, and Jamie, Zoe, and the doctor file out. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Bad eggs. Let's try somewhere else. Wait a minute. Where are we? You don't expect him to know, do you? But let's explore, shall we? Your umbrella. He has twin sons. It's bound to be hot. I don't think I like it here. Looks dead. It smells dead. Sulfur, isn't it? It could be poisonous. No, 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 no. The instruments in the TARDIS would have told us. No, it's a... Mixture of ozone and sulfur. Very bracing. Holding his umbrella like a parasol, the doctor sets off enthusiastically across the desolate scenery, humming as he goes. Zoe and Jamie look at each other and follow reluctantly. The doctor's attention is taken by something at his feet. He stoops and picks up a large flake of mineral. Oh, what's that? It's fascinating structures. Magnesium silicate. Eh? He means mica. Stuffing the mic into his pocket, the doctor leads the way up a small rise. Dead, is it? He points into the valley below. It's the city. Yes, it's fascinating architecture. It's more typical of a, of a low-gravity planet, and yet I think this is quite normal, yes. Inca, perhaps? Yes, possibly. Come on, let's see what he's up to. They follow Jamie down the hillside towards a gigantic dome-shaped structure at the edge of the city. Doctor, down here! Partially buried within the hillside itself, the dome is constructed from a honeycomb of crystal. 
As the trio draws closer, they spot a hexagonal doorway set atop a metal ramp. Once smooth and silver, time and neglect have dulled the surface to a resemblance of granite. What is it? To know. There's a ramp here. Yes, and there's a door as well. Is it a wall? I hardly think so, Zoe. Ooh, that smells a lot stronger around here. The doctor is inspecting the doorway. Oh, this is interesting. What, doctor? Oh, metal, isn't it? What, covered in moss and litter? Well, uh, metal? Will you say so? I... I think we'd better get away from here. What? Come along. But why? Well, this isn't a building. This is a machine. Come along. Doctor, it's open! Come on, fifteen behind the rocks. They dive for cover as the doorway slides upwards. A figure shambles into view. It is Abu. Clutching at his head, the once alert and confident youngster now has the appearance of a slack-jawed simpleton. As Abu stumbles on oblivious, two slender pipes extend from panels at either side of the doorway. Twin jets of fluid spurt forth, and Abu falls to the ground, writhing in agony as white clouds of vapour steam from his rapidly dissolving body. The time travellers emerge from hiding. Horror-struck, they regard the corroded metal medallion lying in the earth at the base of the ramp. All that remains of the hapless youth. To him. I don't know, Jamie. Come on, let's let's get away from here. As Elik helps Varna into her silver robe, Thara appeals to his father. Father, can't you give the order she doesn't have to go? You're our leader. But the Crotons have chosen Varna. It is a great honor. Honor! Why do we take their orders? Varna. Thara grabs Varna, his other hand fingering the small stone axe at his belt. We don't even know if they exist. Thara, you can't say things like that. Get out of the way. She's not going into that machine. She has to go in. No one defies the Crotons. All right! And don't be so stupid. Thara! Disarm him! Thara raises his axe. Keep back! As Thara's standoff with Elek's men continues, the doctor's party creeps down the steps at the rear of the hall. Oh, but I hope they're friendly. Just leave this to me, Zoe. Smiling benignly, he holds out his hands in greeting to the small group of pikemen guarding the entrance. We are friends. It's all right. Now, don't be afraid. I have trouble. Who are you? Axis, the pikeman's leader, approaches. But one of your people has been with strangers. Where are you from? Well, if we told you, it wouldn't mean anything. Answer me. Where are you from? There's no time for explanations. As I say, one of your they're people They're not guns. Been... They're clothes, the way they're dressed. Look... We are friendly. Look, are you going to let us pass or not? Look. At the other end of the hall... Do something about him. He's your son. I'm warning you. One step nearer. Lara, will you be reasonable? The Crotons have sent for Varna. She's not going. Nobody comes back from there. Let me go, Thara. Please. I don't want them to hurt you. Outnumbered by pikemen, Thara tosses his axe away. Selris motions everyone back. Squeezing her lover's hand in farewell, Varna crosses over to Elek at the foot of the ramp. Thara looks on numbly as Elek places the metal medallion around Varna's neck. A bit of sense. Just in time. That doorway. It's like the other one. And she's wearing a cloak just like that chap we saw killed. Is she being sacrificed? 
I, I don't think so, Dorazoi. They're, they're too civilized for that. Can we not stop them? Well, we can try. Just a minute. Wait. They're interrupting the ceremony. Take them. No, no just... Uh, you wouldn't be so tough without these guards around you. Axis signals his men. Get back. I accept your challenge. Oh, you do, do you? Oh, well, that's just fine with me, then. Now, Jamie, don't be so rash. Uh, don't worry, Doctor. I'll see to this laddies. No, I'll not be needing that, thank you. Oh, Jamie, watch out! Having declined an axe from one of the guns, Jamie crouches low like a wrestler. Oh. Axis lunges at him with his axe, but Jamie anticipates the attack and sidesteps. Arms outstretched, the two circle each other warily. As Axis swings his weapon upwards for another blow, Jamie seizes him by the wrists. They grapple. Little by little, Jamie painfully wrenches his opponent's axe arm backwards. At last, the weapon clatters to the ground, followed by its winded owner. Varna has climbed the ramp and is waiting at the entrance, which begins to slide upwards. She exchanges one last wistful look with Thara and steps inside. The door slides down and she is gone. Purposefully, Selris strides towards the back of the hall. What is happening? Who are these people? That is the very question I was going to ask you. What is happening here? Where has that girl gone? I feel like they forced their way through her. Who are you? There is no time to explain. Look, you wouldn't believe us even if we told you. We're from another planet, another world. That girl? Well, where has she gone? How can they be from another planet? Oh, look, we're just wasting time now. Where has she gone? What's behind that wall? The Crotons. They've sent her to join the Crotons. Well, what are the Crotons? The Crotons live in the machine, so we're told. Varna is joining the Crotons. It is a great honor. Honor? She didn't want to go. Nobody really wants to disappear into that thing. How do you open this door? Why are you asking so many questions? Because a moment ago we saw a young man dressed in a silver robe, just like that girl. We saw him killed. Abogond. That's ridiculous. How can these people have seen Abogond? He's with the Croton. Uh, well, we saw someone killed anyway. He came out of that machine and was... Vaporized. Aye, right around the other side. So, you have been in the wasteland. Mm -hmm. The Gons all shy away from the newcomers. They're contaminated. You're contaminated. No one goes into the wasteland. Why not? Because it's poisoned. And you will die. It may have been poisoned once, but I can assure you it's quite safe now. Doctor, that girl, if she comes out that way. But Jamie, you're right. Well, we must on. save her. I know. Well, come on. That's I'm saying. Where are you going? To the wasteland. But you can't. It's against the law of the Crotons. I'm going with them. Thara, come back. If they can go into the wasteland, I can. Thara, you'll die. But already, Thara is dashing after them. Breathless, the doctor and his friends have reached the other doorway. I wonder how long. I imagine we have much time. Well, what are you going to do? Now, you keep away, Zoe. Keep right away. Can I help? Well, Mr... Thara. Yes, well, you can find some more stones what? like this. Well, if you want to help... The doctor has found a small rock and uses his umbrella to ram it into the jet aperture to the left of the door. Thara finds a couple of similar-sized rocks and shows them to the doctor. Yes, that one. He seals the other aperture. Right. They jump down from the ramp and take cover to the side. Doctor, I think I can hear something. Yes, sir, so can I. 
Varna emerges, her expression blank. She begins to stagger down the ramp. Varna, get down! Using his open umbrella as a shield, the doctor leaps onto the ramp and pulls the stupefied girl clear of the jet pipes, just as they dislodge the obstructing rocks. What have they done to her? As Thara cradles Varna in his arms, the doctor is left holding a disintegrating skeleton of metal and fabric. The vandals, look at that. Well, that could have happened to you. My favourite umbrella. She doesn't know me. She can't speak or anything. It's something that those crotons have done to her. Let me see. Tossing his ruined umbrella aside, he examines Varna's eyes. Oh, dears. This is almost catatonic. Well, isn't there anything you can do? I'm not a doctor of medicine, you know, Zoe. However, if there's no damage to the tissue, is there anywhere we can take her? My father's house is quite near on the edge of the community. Well, let's take her there. Give me a hand. Between them, Thara, Jamie and the doctor help the listless Varna to her feet and support her away. Zoe takes one last pensive look at the mysterious doorway, then follows... It is evening. At Seldris's house, Jamie and Zoe have just finished a simple meal with the gone leader. Varna lies in a nearby bed, tended by the doctor and Thara. It's almost impossible to believe. The Crotons have always been our good friends, our benefactors. But we've only got to see what they've done to Varna. Uh, yes, poor How child. is she? Just the same. His face grim, Thara leaves. All eyes turn to the doctor, who is swinging his fob watch backwards and forwards in front of Varna. You're resting. Now you're going to sleep, Varna. Sleep. Feeling sleepy. Very sleepy. Salrus is still trying to make sense of events. You see, every so often the two best of our students have entered the machine to join the Crotons. They can't all have been murdered. Well, it's possible. If they had, you wouldn't know, because this spray stuff just... Dissolves everything. In any case, none of your people go into the wasteland. But why should they do it? Why should they kill the best of our students? What are they like, these crotons? No living person has ever seen them. They never come out of the machine. Never? Not since the beginning. Not for thousands of years. The doctor gently waves a hand across Varna's face. Slowly, her eyelids close. She's asleep. Quietly, the doctor pockets his watch and crosses to the others. Selrus pours him a mug of water. How is she? She's asleep at last. Is she going to be all right, though? Well, I hope so, Jamie. It's difficult to tell, thank you. And she was one of the finest students we've ever produced. Oh, really? Competition for you, Zoe. Selrus was just saying that no one's ever seen these crotons. Aye, they never leave that machine. How did all this begin, Selrus? According to our legends, silver men came out of the sky and built a house among us. The Gonds attacked them, but the silver men caused the poisonous rain to fall, killing hundreds of our people and turning the earth black. The wasteland? Yes, because it was said that ever afterwards, anyone who set foot there would die in terrible pain. The learning hall is shrouded in shadows. A portly, middle-aged man carrying a flashlight descends the stone steps into the chamber. He begins to check over the incongruous rows of computer consoles and monitors arranged along its rear gallery. Suddenly, Thara and three other young gone males loom up from behind one of the machines, overpowering him. Who are you? What do you want? Leave me alone! The Crotons. You must know a lot about them. What do you mean? You're their servant, aren't you? You work for them. 
I'm only the custodian of the learning hall. Of course. So you can tell us what we want to know. I'm forbidden to discuss the secrets. We only want to know how to get at them. We want to see the Crotons for ourselves. Nobody has seen the Crotons. Not for thousands of years. You're sure they don't come out of the machine in the darkness when there's no one here? No. Come out? Never. Then how do they give their orders? Answer me! There are messages. You must know that. What else? Sometimes there is a voice. But you've never seen it. There's no way you can get inside there. Only the companions of the Crotons may enter. And now we know what happens to them. But you can summon the Crotons, can't you? It's not for me to summon them. I obey their commands. If we can't get in there, then we must fetch them out. Their precious teaching machines. Smash them! Smash the machines! Go home! Do not hurt him! Tie his hands and gag him! Well, keep still then. We've no quarrel with you. Back at Selrus's house. But what happened after this war with the Crotons? Ever since, we have lived in peace with them. The Crotons never show themselves to us, but we learn from them through the teaching machines. Teaching machines? Yes, in the Hall of Learning, where you were today. The machines fill the mind with knowledge. And everyone uses these machines? When they are young, yes, that is the law. Whose law, Sir Ritz? Our law, the Gons. But I thought you said all your laws are given you by the Crotons. Yes, all our science, all our culture, Everything we have has come from the machine. I see. Sort of self-perpetuating slavery. And the Crotons always choose your two most promising students. To be their companions, yes. Do you think they've all been killed? Yeah, well, we saw one of them killed anyway. Well, why are they doing it, Doctor? What's the point? Mm. Well, it's time it was stopped anyway. It's high time it was stopped. What shall I tell my people? How can I explain? Explain what? Just tell the truth. What? That they've been tricked? That for thousands of years the best of our students have been dying? Murdered by the Crotons? Well, what are you afraid of? Another war between your people and the Crotons, yes. There could be terrible bloodshed. Another wasteland here in our community. So is. Ah, Peter, come and meet our guests. This, my friends, this is Beta, a controller of science, and my son's good That's friend. what I'm here for. Do you know what Father's planning? Planning? He and some students have gone out to the learning hall. They're going to wreck the machines. No! You've got to stop them, Ceres. I came as quickly as I could, but they'll be there by now. Then it's too late. Not if we cut through the wasteland. Ah, it's the shortest route. Wasteland? But the poison! Oh, that wore off a long time ago. It's quite safe now. Oh, well, look, we've been in it twice a day. We're all right. Very well. Bound and gagged, the custodian watches aghast as Thar and his friends smash away with their axes at one of the teaching machines. Deep within the Croton's mysterious structure at the opposite end of the learning hall lies a control room, illuminated only by the glow from its many monitor screens. An alarm sounds. A small box-like servo unit mounted on a rod extending from the main instrumentation panel glides across to examine one of the screens. Pulsating alert symbol, shaped like a letter X, reflects in the unit's impassive electronic eye. The teaching machine is now a twisted wreck of metal and exposed circuitry. 
touch and fetch them out! Come, let's wreck another! Smash the door! This is a warning. Leave the hall. All gods, leave the hall now! The Crotons. Leave the hall. All gods, leave the hall now! That's just a voice! Listen! This is a warning. Come out, you Crotons, and fight! As the youth renew their assault, the time travellers and Celris rush in and restrain them. What are you doing? Stop it! Stop it, all of you! Listen to me! This will do no good at all! These crotons must have enormous scientific powers! You can't defeat them with axes! With machine logic, the server unit processes the scene before it. Having disarmed Thara, the doctor is now waving a gondax in the air. A stylized biometric representation of the doctor's face forms on the monitor. Now, if this was an atomic laser, it might be more use. An atomic laser? Is that better than an axe? Look at the damage you've done. Completely senseless. Look what they did to our friends, Father. Destroying the machines won't avenge Abu or help Varna, will it? We can't get in there. If we attack their machines... The Crotons will come out! I think something's coming out now. A panel has opened in the silver wall, and something that looks like an enormous metal snake is sliding out. What is it? I don't know, sir, but keep well clear of it. Within the snake's bulbous head is a many-segmented electronic eye, surmounted by a sinister-looking nozzle. Rearing up like a cobra, the strange device scans the hall, its eye flashing balefully. Suddenly it surges forward. Look out! What's it doing? How can it be? It's not alive, is it? Directing the attack, the server unit is focused on the biometric image of the doctor's face. In the learning hall, the group scatters, but the snake has located its target. Doctor, it's after you! The snake swings in on the doctor. Jumping clear, he stumbles to the floor. Now, flat on his back, he tries awkwardly to shuffle away, but finds his path blocked by the shattered teaching machine. As the doctor throws up his arms to shield himself, the snake lunges in for the kill. Silver serpent emanating from the Croton's machine undulates ever closer towards the doctor, who, losing his footing, falls sprawlingly to the floor of the learning hall. 
His friends can only watch impotently as the snake moves in for the kill. Instinctively, the doctor throws up his arms to shield his face. The snake falters, its head swaying from side to side. Hesitantly, the doctor peeps through his spread fingers. The snake has retreated a little. Oh, doctor, don't move! It's all right, sir. I, I think it's quite safe now. Oh, I wouldn't be so sure. Just watch this, Jamie. Keeping his face covered, he stands and nears the snake. He drops his hands and the snake swoops towards him. He covers his face again and the snake hesitates. Pattern recognition? Yes, and the pattern is my face. Doctor, do you mean that thing was sent out to attack you and only you? Yes, so it seems. It's rather flattering, isn't it? Well, then the crotons know who you are. Hi. Or at least what you look like. Yes. That means they must have a scanner somewhere in the wall of the machine. Now, if we could find that, we might be able to get in touch with them. The doctor! Ah! Absent-mindedly, the doctor has lowered his arms. As the snake bears down, one of the gone students springs forward with his axe. Swinging round, the snake spits a searing jet of vapour. Reducing the student to a ghostly shadow on the flagstone floor. In the Croton's control room, the doctor's biometric image fades from the monitor screen, while in the learning hall, the snake slithers back into the machine and the panel closes behind it. It's gone back. Yes. That poor fellow must have confused its attack mechanism. Eh? But it was programmed to kill once. Me. It must think it succeeded, stupid machine. The guns have gathered round the spot where their comrade fell. There's your wonderful crotons for your father. Murderers! No! Father! Don't provoke them! Is that all you care about, not provoking them? What can we do against their weapons? We can fight them! This is our warning. Your leader has been destroyed. All gods leave the learning hall at once. At once. No! Stay and fight! Leave the learning hall! All gods leave the learning hall! Protectively, Selrith stands between the Croton's machine and his people. Everyone! Leave the hall! Now! The time travelers and gone students need no encouragement. Resentfully, Thara has no option but to follow. Later, at Selrus's house, the doctor is examining Varna's unblinking eyes with an ophthalmoscope. Satisfied, he puts the instrument down and passes a hand over her face, gently closing her eyes. While the doctor begins to feel around Varna's skull like a phonologist, Zoe picks up the ophthalmoscope and looks at its lamp, puzzled. Where did this come from? I borrowed it from Beta. But I thought they didn't know anything about electricity. They don't. Uh, that works on stored solar energy. Yes, the Gons are quite advanced in some ways. Uh, the medicine's very good. But they haven't got much general chemistry. I wish they had an ETC machine, though. Yes. There are tremendous gaps in their knowledge. Well, they only seem to know what the machines teach them. Yes, and the machines are programmed by the Crotons, so the gaps in their knowledge may be significant. Selris and Jamie enter. Ah, Selris. How is she, Doctor? Well, I think she's better. It's difficult to tell. Um, Cyrus, is it safe to enter the learning hall yet? Why? Uh, Zoe and I want to have a look round, don't we, Zoe? Oh, do we? Yes, that's right. Uh, Jamie, hold out your hand, will you? What for? Uh, these pills I got from Beta. Well, there's nothing wrong with me. No, no. Uh, they're for Varna. I want you to stay and look after her. Oh, now, why can't I go with you? Because I particularly want you to give her those pills the moment she wakes up. 
Oh, well. Well, why are we going back to the learning hall? Uh, to learn, Zoe, why else? I'm coming with you, Doctor. Oh, my dear fellow, there's no need for that. I must know what is happening. Oh, well, <laughs> certainly. Uh, come along, Zoe. Zoe, watch him. You know what he's like. Oh, don't worry, Jamie. I'll make sure he doesn't do anything rash. She follows the Doctor and Selris out. Arriving at the learning hall, Selris ushers out a group of pikemen, then joins the Doctor and Zoe by the teaching machines. The Doctor is scrutinising a flagstone inset with a ring. Selris, so, um, what's that? Oh, uh, that leads to the underhall. Oh, what's down there? Nothing. It's never used. I wonder how far underneath... Uh... Let's have a look, shall we? With Selders' aid, the Doctor pulls aside the flagstone. Carefully, he begins to descend the stone steps beneath. Oh, yes. It's a bit dark and musty down here. Uh, Zoe, stay up there, will you? We shall be lost. He disappears from view, followed by Selris. Now alone, Zoe gazes around, looking for some diversion. Her attention alights on the wrecked teaching machine. Studying its dismembered internals for a moment, she crosses to the adjacent, undamaged machine. Rather guiltily, she slides into the operator's chair and ponders the controls. Picking up an earphone-like headset, she puts it on and presses a button on the keyboard. The monitor screen above flickers into life. A jumble of disconnected figures and symbols starts to swirl across the screen. So his face sets in concentration. As her fingers play across the keys, the figures sequence themselves into a mathematical equation. So he smiles triumphantly as the needle dial to the right of the screen swings into its upper range. In the Croton's control room, Zoe's score is studied by the servo unit. I told you there was nothing down there. Ah, but there was, Cerys. Something rather curious. Only the foundations of the machine. It stands on those metal pillars. Zoe! Still engrossing equations, Zoe's oblivious to the pair's return. Anxiously, the doctor snatches away the headset. Zoe! Oh, you're soon back, doctor. What do you think you're doing? I was just trying the machine. You should know better than to do a thing like that. Oh, but doctor, it was all so easy. The Crotons were very pleased with me. Very pleased? Well, I felt they were. Zoe! Now, just you listen to me. Whatever else they are, these protons are certainly not friendly. Now, we know that, don't we? Yes, of course. And they use these machines to plant impressions on the mind. That's how they've enslaved these people all these years. Doctor! What? Look at the dial. What of it? It's amazing. Even the best of our students register less than half that score. Yes, well, Zoe is something of a genius, of course. It can be very irritating at times. At Selfish's house, Varna waits for the start. Varna, you're all right now, you're safe. As Jamie and Thara come to her aid, the girl's eyes widen at some imagined terror. The burning oh. What? It's over my head. Now, Varna, there is nothing here no, now. No, I so, saw it. I saw it. Thara, ah, look. Now, Varna, you're all right. Reassuringly, Thara holds Varna in his arms. There's nothing here. You're safe. It was flashing. All the lights burning my mind. The lights. Father, 
You're all right now. You're home. Becoming more aware, Varna reaches up and strokes Tara's cheek. Is that you? At least she recognizes me. Varna, listen. Nothing can hurt you now. You're going to be all right. Tara, I... I went into the machine. Did you see the croutons? The ball! Flashing! Coming down on me! You're quite safe! Never had enough! Better take these here. Wake up now. All there. Remembering his instructions, Jamie gives Varna her pills with a mug of water. Varna swallows obediently and sinks down into the pillows, drifting back to sleep. Flashing ball burning her mind? What do you mean? Is it another of the Croton's weapons? I don't know. Look, you stay here with her. I'll go and get the doctor. In the learning hall, the doctor and Zoe are at the doorway of the Croton's machine, feeling its texture. It's crystalline. Yes, it's hard, but it, it's not brittle. I've never seen anything quite like it. What was it like down there? Hmm? Oh, what Cerus calls the foundations. Uh, Zoe, it was like a root structure. A root structure? But that indicates that... that this so-called machine is organic in structure, yes. Well, is that possible? Oh, why not? Some crystals do resemble simple virus forms. I wish I could get a bit of it for analysis. Well, if you're right, that means that this whole machine is a sort of living thing. Oh, all life doesn't necessarily have feeling, you know. Great jumping gobstoppers, what's that? The Croton's command. It means there is a message for me. Oh, what does it say? Celrus takes a scroll from the hatch. Class 3197, selected female Zogon. Zogon? Zoe! They mean you! They have chosen you as a companion. And we all know what happens to them, don't we? Oh, Doctor, what shall I do? Well, she doesn't have to go, does she? Well, does she or doesn't she? I'm afraid she must. Complete obedience is the Croton's first command. And if we fail to obey, they'll destroy you, I see. Oh, dear. Now do you see what you've done? Fooling around with this stupid machine. But I'm not a gun. But the machine doesn't know that. Oh, where are you going? I'm going to take the test. I can't let you go in there alone. What do I do? Oh, sit down. Uh, and put this, oh, this headset on. And press the button. Press the button. All right, there's no need to shout. Now go away and don't fuss me. Now come back, what's this? It's all right, I know. Uh, right, fire away, I'm ready. He waits expectantly, but nothing happens. Exasperated, Zoe gestures at the keyboard. The doctor hits the button and symbols flash across the screen. He stabs away at the keys, but the needle dial does not even flicker. Oh dear, I've been working in square roots. Uh, can I have that again, please? Well, they don't give you second shots. Well, press the button oh. again. This is the most advanced machine. Perhaps he can't answer the questions. Of course he can. The doctor's almost as clever as I am. You see? Yeah. The needle remains resolutely at zero. Oh no, what have I done? Oh, doctor, you've divided instead of multiplying. You must concentrate. I am, Zoe, I am. In the Croton's control room, the servo unit is alerted as a dial suddenly swings to maximum. The jumble of figures has at last resolved into an elegant equation. Yes, uh, I think that's rather better. I think I've scored more than you have, Zoe. You answered more questions. 
Besides, this isn't supposed to be a competition. It's clever, isn't it? The way they make you feel that they're pleased with you. Yes. Perhaps the crotons aren't as bad as we think. Uh, what? Of, of course they aren't. Uh, what happens now? The crotons will be waiting for Zoe. Oh, they can wait. We are going in there together. Normally, the names don't come through for some time. Well, mine did. Yes, but perhaps they were impressed with your performance, and that's why. Sounds a bit like a dinner gong, doesn't it, Zoe? Class 3198, selected male Dr. Gong. Dr. Gong. Idiots! The doorway to the machine slides open. Well, it means you, anyway. Yes. Well, are you ready? I suppose we have to. Well, we started this. We'd better go through with it. We've got to get to the bottom of this somehow, Zoe. Oh, this is all my fault. Oh, cheer up, cheer up. I expect it to be quite interesting, really. I am sorry, Doctor. My people will always remember you. Hey. Oh. Oh, that's very nice of them. Stay close to me, Zoe. Doctor! No, wait, come back! But Jamie is too late. What's happened? Your people are gone. They are now companions of the Crotons. The servo unit moves away from its instrument banks and disappears into the shadows as an inner door opens. Warily, the Doctor and Zoe enter, their eyes gradually becoming accustomed to the Stygian gloom. The door closes behind them. It is a spaceship. Yes, but there doesn't seem to be any crew. Hello? Anybody there? Is anybody at home? Hello? A spotlight illuminates two transparent stools. I think we've been asked to sit down. Yes, I think we have, Zoe. Uh, Zoe, hold on to the end of this chain. Look up there. It's a force generator. This chain may help to equalize the power load. Well, what are they going to do? A metallic cylinder, topped by an opaque cone, packed with electronic apparatus, rises out of the floor just in front of them. The cone flares brightly, and Zoe and the Doctor become rigid. Doctor, I can't move! No, it's, it's a force field. Try and relax. Relax. A glittering silver orb descends from above their heads, light reflecting off its many facets. But why did you let them go? It is the command of the Crotons. Oh, the Crotons! They just wrap out an order and everyone jumps, don't they? Oh, well, I'm not standing here. Where are you going? To find your way into this box of tricks. Beads of sweat are running down the contorted faces of the Doctor and Zoe as around them an iridescent vortex of energy whirls faster and faster. The gold watch chain linking their hands is melting and distorting in the maelstrom of forces. The cone is shuddering and vibrating. Something resembling a column of mercury is rising up a central tube. The watch chain snaps apart as the column reaches its zenith, releasing a final blinding blast of light. The Doctor and Zoe gasp for breath. Above them, the sphere slowly retracts, while before them, the cylinder sinks back into its floor housing. Behind them, a honeycomb wall melts away to reveal a glass coffin-shaped tank containing a bubbling, glowing liquid. Are you all right, Zoe? 
Yes, I think so. Oh. What happened? Oh, some tremendous power. Oh. They seemed to have a way of transferring mental power to pure energy. Yes, and they used it, or, or rather us, to operate a thermal switch. Doctor, look. Yes. I thought there was a wall here. Yes, there was. Zoe, I think I'm beginning to understand. What's that? The tank is now filled with dancing dots of light. Even as they watch, the dots are swirling and forming into a pattern. That's curious. Zoe, I think we've gone and done it. What? Well, just a minute, I've got an idea. Delving into his baggy coat pockets, he produces a little bottle. Dipping it into the seething liquid, he scoops out a quantity. Oh, yes. This is a form of slurry. Crystals in suspension. Well, what's its purpose? Life is supposed to have begun on your planet in the sea, hmm? Primeval soup, someone once called it. Well, there are lots of sorts of soups, aren't there? I, I wonder what this sort is. Zoe has unclipped some long pipe from below the tank. And what do you suppose these are? They look like astronauts' airlines. All right, Zoe. Zoe, look! The dots are solidifying into supine, vaguely humanoid figures. Time we got out of here. Come along. As they run down a passageway, an arm-like shape covered in metal pyrites erupts from the slurry. Clutching his sample bottle tightly, the doctor leads Zoe in search of the exit. What are we going to do if we do get out? We haven't learned anything yet. Yes, we have. Once we can analyse this, now, uh... Standing some six feet tall, the croton appears almost robotic. Its featureless head is shaped like an enormous cut diamond, tapering into powerful shoulders. Its angular, symmetrical body has a crystalline surface from which protrude two great arms terminating in cruel, sharp clamps. As the croton clambers from the tank and clips one of the pipes beneath into a socket at its waist, a second, similar shape begins to coalesce. Jamie is prizing away at the machine's doorway with his dirk. There is no way in. There's a door here if I can just get it open. No one can enter unless the crotons wish it. We'll see about that. All I need is some sort of crowbar. Both crotons are now fully active. The guns should be here. They are in the exit shaft. Why? They are conditioned to obey. The conditioning may have failed. The Doctor and Zoe push their way past tangles of cables and clusters of weirdly shaped electronic equipment as they continue their flight along the exit shaft. Finally, they reach a wall inset with a door. It is shut tight. It should slide somewhere. Yes, there must be a clip mechanism. Doctor, look, there's a photoelectric cell here. It can't be working. But if it's not working... Then the crotons have cut the circuit. Yes. Then we're trapped. Just they a little bit of an idea. Uh, that piece of mica I picked up, here we are. Now, if I can use it to bridge the gap... Well, will mica work? Well, the whole machine's made of crystal. Ripping off uh, the photocell's lens cover, he jams a sliver of mica inside. Wait! The poison jet! The two crotons watch on their monitor. They have activated the circuit. Then the dispersion unit will kill them. 
Doctor, we've got to risk it. Yes, but, but jump down to the side. Don't go down the ramp. As the pair escape, the Croton scanner tracks them across the wasteland. They are not guns. Why did you inoperate the dispersion unit? We need them alive. They have escaped. Keep the scanner on them. We will order the guns to capture them and bring them back. Croton 1 touches a control and another monitor screen lights up, showing the learning hall and Jamie. That is not a gond. It is possible they have evolved. There has not been time. It is a similar biped animal, but not from this planet. It is possible these higher anthropoids have taken over the planet. The camera pans across the Celris. That is a gond. These creatures are in alliance with the Gons. Let us take this one. Its mind will have the capacity we need. Now using a crowbar as a lever, Jamie jumps as the door slides upwards. At last! No! Don't enter! Look, I have this! Brandishing his crowbar, he plunges inside. Jamie creeps through the inner door and into the dimly lit control chamber. As he peers into the darkness, the claw-like clamp of Croton 2 takes him unawares. Held in a cruel, implacable grip, Jamie drops his crowbar and is forced to his knees. Have you damaged it? No, it is alive. Animal tissue is weak. It is recovering. Test its mind. Jamie stares uncomprehendingly at the mesmeric silver ball gliding down from above. Powerless within a field of energy, his face twists into a rictus of silent agony. The Crotons study his reaction with callous detachment. This is not a hybrid. It is a primitive. Then the power will kill it. The 
two crotons watch impassively as Jamie writhes in agony within the cone of light, radiating from the spinning globe above him. It's my primitive. The power will kill it. Croton 1 touches a control and the oscillating stops. Jamie lies back, exhausted. It is still a value. It can give information about the other creatures. It gestures at the monitor showing the Doctor and Zoe picking their way across the wasteland. This isn't the way to the city. No, it's the way to the TARDIS. TARDIS? But we can't leave Jamie behind. Well, don't worry about him. He's perfectly safe, isn't he? Come on. Jamie is beginning to recover. Where are you from? Oh, it's you. Thought I'd dreamt you up. Where are you from? Uh, Earth. You are of the same race as these bipeds. Still groggy, Jamie squints at the screen. So you and the Doctor. Where are they? You are space travelers. Got out, good old Doctor. Answer! You, you break my arm. Do not damage the creature. As Croton 1 clicks a switch, the silver sphere above Jamie's head begins to rotate. You and these other creatures are space travelers. Yes. Commander. A new image appears on the screen. What is that? TARDIS. What is its function? It travels through time and space. Range 07. Dispersion unit on target. The Doctor and Zoe have reached the TARDIS. The Crotons watch as the Doctor opens the door. They are leaving. Shall I fire? They're not leaving. They wouldn't. In a laboratory, the gone scientist Beta is carefully using tongs to pour a crucible of liquid into a bubbling cauldron hanging over a small furnace. Elik and Axis enter, accompanied by several guards. You wish to see me? You got my message? That the Council requires my advice. On a matter of science, I presume. On a matter of war. War? Against the Crotons. War against the Crotons? Are you both out of your minds? Now you listen to me! Axis! Not yet. Peter, you're a scientist. Surely you want to be free of the Crotons? Free, yes. Dead, no. We can defeat them! Can we? Our ancestors tried. They were savages, primitive men with clubs and stones. They're much more advanced now. Are we? All our knowledge is given us by the Crotons. Then we can use it against them. You're talking nonsense, Elec. We only know what the Crotons tell us. We don't think. We obey. He could help us if he wasn't afraid of the Crotons. Don't you think I want to be free of them? Don't you think I want to discover truth for myself instead of being fed information like a dog with scraps? Then you will help us. To fight the Crotons? Listen, I've just been talking to the stranger, the Doctor. He made me realize how pitifully little the Crotons tell us. I would forget the Doctor if I were you. And his friends. What do you mean? They submitted themselves to the teaching machines in the learning hall. What happened? The Doctor and the girl scored the highest result ever. The Crotons summoned them. They went into the machine and the boy followed them. So now they'll be dead, like Avogond, or mindless, like Varna. So you will help us? Give me time, Elec. 
There are certain things the crotons forbid us to study. Fluids, which eat away metal and flesh. In time, I can develop some way of attacking them. In time! It's always in time, isn't it? Just give us a little more time. Just be a little more patient. Always time. A little more time. We've been slaves for a thousand years. Do you think you can free us in one day? Yes. Why don't you wait and see what Selrys has to say? You will no longer obey Selrys. You will obey me. The Crotons are still evaluating the TARDIS on their scanner. Shall I fire, Commander? We cannot kill them. We need their minds. You will leave the dinotrope and fetch them back. Jamie watches as Croton 2 moves back to the tank and unclips its feed pipe, replacing it with a portable cylinder. Proceeding to the exit passageway, it pauses briefly to collect a bulky tubular weapon from a rack and then lumbers out. Noting this arsenal, Jamie shifts his position slightly. Croton 1 turns to face him. What is the operating principle of your craft? Uh, you mean, how does it work? Well, only the doctor knows that. What is its transference interval? Uh, transference interval? Well, uh, uh... What's that? You have no value. Vision control required now. Croton 2 has reached the exit ramp to the wasteland. On control and proceed. The silver giant moves clumsily down the ramp. The harsh, bright light of the planet's twin suns refracts in a myriad of rainbow patterns across the creature's jewel-like body. Slowly, but with deadly purpose, it starts across the blackened, rocky landscape. Dispersion carbine levelled and at the ready. At Selrus's house, Varna is still asleep. Thar is gently dabbing her brow with a wet flannel. Selrus enters, looking fatigued. How is Varna? Better. Much better, but very tired. She'll be all right by morning, though. That is good news. Where are the strangers still in the learning hall? They're gone. You mean they've left? They've gone back? They were to the machine. What? The Crotons sent for Zoe, and the doctor insisted on going as well. You let them go? Why didn't you stop them? What can I do? It is the will of the Crotons. Why didn't they run? Why did they go in when they know what must happen? Because they knew what would happen if they failed to obey. But not to them, Father. They could have escaped in their machine. There is a council meeting. Council meeting? Is that all you can ever think about, talking? What about some action, Father? You think the Crotons are still our great benefactors, don't you? No, Thara. I think of them as enemies. We're powerless against them. Well, Elik is going to do something about it. No. It's all right, Father. Mm. You're quite safe. Oh. I feel so faint. Try to sleep now. We're looking after you. With Croton 1's concentration apparently focused on guiding its subordinate, Jamie starts to inch towards the weapons rack. Radius 181, Victor 5. Do not move. Uh, I was just stretching my leg. Look, what are you going to do with me? You have no value. Well, what do you mean? You will be dispersed. Selrus is puzzled by his son's previous remark. Dara, what did you mean about Elek? I meant you don't know what's happening. He is no longer your deputy. He's taken over as council leader. He has no authority. A vote was taken. A vote? Listen. Everybody in the city knows how the Crotons have tricked us. Elek announced it. Fool. They will want revenge. Well, exactly. And that's what Elek has promised. Can't you understand? 
Elek doesn't care what happens to our people. Elek is a patriot. It is not patriotism to lead people into a war they cannot win. We can't let the Crotons rule us forever without putting up some sort of fight. You will be strong one day. We will fight them. After another thousand years? Elek must be stopped. How? He won't listen to you. Our people want this war because of what happened to Varner and the others. And how does Elek intend to fight the Crotons? March on the machine? Do you have a better idea? There is a way we could fight them. And that is by not letting them suspect that they are being attacked. Croton 1 continues to issue directions. Radius 179 of Vector 5. So, and the Doctor, what are you going to do with them? They are needed for the Dynatrope. Dynatrope? Th that's this machine then? 168 Vector 4. Well, why does it need them? And, and why have you been killing the Gons? The Dynatrope needs high brains for transfer power. The Gons have no high brains. Ah, and that makes it all right to kill them, does it? That is procedure. Radius 163, Vector 4. Jamie looks again at the dispersion carbines, so tantalizingly close. Peter remains unconvinced by Elex scheming. Soldi should be here. He's still the council leader. Or am I mistaken? You are mistaken. Soldus is old. In time of war, we need a strong leader. And Elek has taken command. So at last you've achieved your ambition, eh? Yes. And I have the support of the whole council. It must be quite a change for you to feel popular. And there is a limit to what I will take from you. I'm wondering just how popular you'll be when hundreds of our people have been killed. Do you want a repetition of the massacre we suffered when the Crotons first came here? Today we have slings and fireballs. Weapons that will destroy the strongest building to rubble. Have you ever looked at the wasteland? Nothing grows there even to this day. It smells of death. Compared with their kind of weapons, I tell you we still only have clubs and stones. Uh, I mean, how would you like to die without knowing the reason, eh? Crotons cannot die. You mean you can't be killed? You, you live forever? We function permanently. Unless we exhaust. Exhaust? Radius 152, Vector 3. How do you mean by exhaust? The exhaust procedure is merely a reversion to basic molecules, but the matter can be reanimated. Well, what about me, though? I mean, I can't be reanimated. Why kill me? 149, Vector 3. I mean, what good will it do you? All waste matter must be dispersed. That is procedure. With its back turned to Jamie, Croton 1 is unaware that the Highlander has reached the weapons rack. Its attention is firmly fixed on Croton 2 as it closes in on the TARDIS. The TARDIS door opens and the Doctor and Zoe step out, oblivious to the approaching danger. The Doctor is holding his little sample bottle together with a large carpet bag. life system based on tellurium, eh? It's fascinating, isn't it, Zoe? And that tank must have been a polarised centrifuge. Which we activated. Oh, don't blame yourself, Zoe. Uh, that machine must have lain around for thousands of years waiting for someone as clever as us to turn up. Just like a giant mouse trap. Yeah. And those poor gone students have been the mice. Yes, that's horrible. Still, you must admit that it's a, a very good way of existing through time. He begins poking around amongst the rocks. What are you doing? Well, there's some, some deposits of sulphur around here somewhere. 
Yes, Jamie remarked about the smell as soon as we stepped out of the TARDIS. Hydrogen telluride. What? Oh, of course. The worst smell in the world. The worst smell in any world. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Zoe, I'd say it was a safe bet that that machine is composed of tellurium. Doctor, what do you want sulfur for? Oh, oh it's, it'll come in use. Well, it's, it's very useful stuff, sulfur, you know. Very useful stuff indeed. What a funny feeling. We're being watched. She looks around apprehensively as the doctor continues to collect sulfur deposits in his bag. Radius three zero, vector one, two zero, objective in range. Get back in the TARDIS, will you? Go on. Radius one zero. Look at this, it's almost pure sulphur. Oh, Doctor, can we go now? Yes, in a minute. <clears throat> what do you know about tellurium, Zoe? Well, it's one of the exceptional elements in the periodic table. Its atomic weight is 128, yeah. and its atomic number is 50... Mm -hmm. Well, go on. It doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. Croton 2 looms over them. Oh, my giddy aunt. You will return to the Dynatrope. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, yes, of course. Well, uh, yes, if you put it that way. Uh, I wonder perhaps if... Return! Could... Oh, yes, yes. In the Dynatrope's control room, Jamie seizes his chance. Heaving a dispersion carbine from the rack, he points it at Croton 1. Stop! And I will see if you die or not. Stop! A torrent of corrosive gas spews from the bulbous barrel and envelops the Croton. Unscathed, it bears down on Jamie. The young Scot is backed against the bulkhead. Croton 1 tears the weapon away, then flings him to the floor. Stop! Direction point! Direction point! I have lost contact! The Doctor and Zoe gape in disbelief as Croton 2 flails blindly about. Quick, Zoe! Up there, run! Direction point required immediately! Croton 1 returns to the monitor. Radius 1, 0, Victor 3, do I proceed? No, wait. The auto-scanner has lost contact. You will destroy the TARDIS machine. Direction point. Radius 4-1, Vector 2. The Doctor and Zoe are crouched behind a nearby boulder. Can't it see? No, apparently not in the light. It was dark in the machine, wasn't it? Look, it's moving now. Yes. It's going towards the TARDIS. Yes, it's being directed by the machine scanners. Engulfed in a thick cloud of acidic gases, the TARDIS evaporates. Oh, Doctor, the TARDIS! Yes. Well, now what should we do? Well, there's, there's nothing we can do till that wretched Croton moves away. Further instructions. Return to the Dynatrope. Direction point. Reverse the readings. Jamie lies doggo as Croton 1 turns briefly to check on him. Still in hiding, the Doctor and Zoe watch as Croton 2 departs. Suddenly... Some way from its original position, balancing precariously on a rock ledge, the TARDIS reappears. 
right again. Yes, what a what a stupid place to land. You can tell that the captain is not at the helm, can't you? You knew it would vanish like that, didn't you? Well, it only does that, you see, if I if I remember to set the hads. The what? The hads. The hostile action displacement system. If the TARDIS is attacked, it automatically dematerializes. Now, I think it's uh, I think it's safe for us to move now. Well, to move where? Well, uh, we've, we've got to uh, tell the guns that we're all right, haven't we? And, and Jamie will be worried. Come along now, carefully. In Peter's laboratory... First we destroy the learning hall, then we make a frontal attack. Suicide! What does the controller of science know of war? You came here asking my advice. I've given it. Wait until we can develop effective weapons. And how long will that take? I say attack now. No, Elec. Celris has entered. You'll be pleased to know he's taken your place as leader of the council. To lead an attack on the Crotons? That is my plan. I forbid it. You can't forbid anything. Order the slings and fireballs to be prepared. Obediently, Elex pikemen troop out. Celris is enraged. They've heard enough of your plans. He leaves. Peter shakes his head despairingly. Slings and fireballs will never reach the Crotons while they're still in that machine. Exactly, Peter. And I have a plan to draw them out. Now, under the Hall of Learning... There are three pillars which support the machine. Croton 2 has arrived back in the Dynatrope and is studying the instrument readout with the commander. The high brains must be recaptured before exhaust time. Captive aliens are dispersed. Check exhaust time. Commence check. Lineal power static. Static. Gravitation feed. Normal. Auxiliary output rising. Dynatrope balance, balance four. The Dynatrope will exhaust in three hours. Jamie takes advantage of their distraction to slip quietly away. At Celris's house, Thar and Varna are packing provisions. Are you sure you're stronger? Of course. I'm all right now. I can carry you. That won't be necessary. I'll walk, Thara. It's a long way to the hills. Doctor, you're back! Yes, I'm sorry we've been so long. But we thought you were dead. Dead? Sarah said you'd gone into the machine. Yes, well, we did, but, uh, well, well, what uh, goes in must come out, mustn't it? You're better, aren't you? Sit down, you mustn't. Uh, Oh, I'm glad to see you're going on holiday. Holiday? We aren't. Well, it looks as though... Well, the city's been evacuated. Evacuated? What do you mean? My father's going to lead an attack against the Crotons. He hopes they'll strike back and come out into the open. But didn't he learn his lesson last night? He's going to attack the machine from underneath. Demolish the machine's supports. Oh, I don't think that's a very good idea. Zoe, there's no time to be lost. Will you take us to Beta, please? In the underhall, Selrus supervises as a group of gons excavates earth from around one of the three massive silver columns that support the Dynatrope. A heavy chain has been looped around it. Right it with the stop draw! Now! Beta greets his latest visitors. Father, if you've come to try to persuade me to leave, you're wasting your time. I haven't. The doctor asked to see your laboratory. Could you hold my bag, please? Uh, there's a small job I want you to do. What's that? It's sulfur. I've written out some instructions here. I don't know whether you can follow them, can you? Yes, I think so. But the crotons forbid us to study chemistry. Yes, uh, Peter. Did it ever occur to you to wonder why? Doctor, where's Jamie? Hmm? He's supposed to be looking after you. Well, where's he got to? He followed you out to the learning hall. But I haven't you mean seen him since this morning. You don't suppose he tried to get into the machine, do you? Come on, we must go. Yes, let's. Uh, give me a sample of that as soon as you can. Varna, I'm staying here to help. 
Oh, no, you're not. You're going up to the hills, the pair of you. Well, don't be ridiculous, Peter. We're not leaving you here. Besides, I feel quite faint. I don't think I could walk a step. The effects of Sellers' sabotage are now being felt inside the Dynatrope. The gravitation feed is dropping. The Dynatrope is moving out of balance. Static feed. Switch to full volume. Full volume on. Systems check comments. The tremor is even more apparent in the underhaul, where the guns are now working a winch to pull the chain taut, dislodging the attached pillar inch by inch. Shine the light up there. At Selvis' direction, a gond aims a beam from a hand lamp. The stonework above is cracking and crumbling. If that comes down, we shall all be killed! But the machine will come down first! Look at the vibration! The Doctor and Zoe push past fleeing guns as they try to make their way to the underhaul. Stop it! Stop it! Stop what do you think you're doing, you idiots? Unhook the thing! You're meddling with things you don't understand! Doctor, look out! Zoe, run! Run! As the Doctor rushes towards the witch, a section of the ceiling above gives way! Robert Holmes, Episode 4. As the Dynatrope shifts out of balance, the underhaul's roof begins to crumble. Doctor! The Doctor is lost behind an avalanche of debris. Thara and Varna carefully make their way down the steps into the learning hall. They are horrified by the devastation. Several walls and part of the roof have collapsed. The Dynatrope is still vibrating ominously. I'm going down. You go back. Be careful, Sarah. Zoe vainly tries to see through the pool of dust. Oh, Doctor! <coughs> are you all right, Zoe? Yes, I think so. Come on, this way. No, we must find the Doctor. Well, where is he? Somewhere over there. I saw him fall. I'll look for him. You stay under here. Salris has returned to the learning hall with a party of Gons to search the rubble for survivors. Vara, what are you doing here? Why aren't you in the hills? The Thar and I stayed to help Peter make the message. We were bringing it here for the doctor when we felt the earthquake. The doctor? Has anyone seen him? He's probably buried down there with the digging party. I found him, Zoe! Crouched within the trench around the Dynatrope's unstable leg, the doctor has survived. Are you all right, doctor? Yes, yes, I, I think so. I don't think it's any... 
phone's broken. <coughs> and if they don't get that vibration under control we soon... We must hurry! There's gonna... Oh, look out! More masonry crashes down about them. The doctor manages to dodge out of the way, but Farah is struck down, his left leg trapped under a slab of stone. Farah! So he rushes over, and with great effort, they lift the slab away. Deep in the juddering bowels of the dinotrope, Jamie is jolted off balance for the umpteenth time. Picking himself up, he staggers on down the exit passageway. In the control room, the Croton's heads gyrate in agitation as they fight to restore their vessel's equilibrium. Cut auxiliaries, auxiliaries, cut, output zero, feed in emergency power, gravitation feed check, static, dinotrope balance, normal, the guns have attacked the dinotrope. The monitor shows the Doctor and Zoe looking after Thara. The two high planes are there. Bring them here. They've helped him up to the learning hall. He's lying on the ground, cradled by Varna. Zoe is examining Thara's injured leg. Could be a fracture. Feels painful enough. I'll strap it. Well, Doctor, give me the wood. Yes, but hurry up, Zoe. We've got to move out of here, you know. You think there'll be another earthquake? Oh, that was not an earthquake. The noise was coming from the machine. It stopped. Yes. That means the crotons are free to deal with us. Haven't you finished yet, Zoe? No, I haven't. Hey, can I borrow your braces? No! Ooh. I'd much rather you use this. All right. Zoe's made a makeshift splint with the doctor's handkerchief. Oh. Yes, doctor. I'm afraid we have failed. The machine is unharmed. I'm not so sure. Look at that. Visible through a breach in the roof, a black stain is oxidizing across the machine's silver dome. What is happening to it? I... I'd say it was no longer functioning under full power. Varna, how is Beta getting on with the acid I asked him to make? Oh, he sent this, Doctor. Oh, good. He only made a small amount to yeah. start with. He uncaps the little bottle and sniffs at the contents. Uh-huh. Is it all right? <coughs> oh, sulfuric acid. Yes, basically, with a few things added. Oh, no, don't touch it, it'll burn you. Doctor, what about Jamie? Jamie? I'd forgotten all about him in the excitement. Has anybody seen him? But he followed you. Followed us? What, in there? Yes, I tried Well, to... how long ago? About an hour after you and the doctor. The doctor Jamie wouldn't be any use to them. His mind is completely untrained. Yes, and if the machine rejects him like the others... Come on! Doctor! He passes the bottle back to Varna, grabs Zoe's hand and dashes out. Jamie has reached the exit and is endeavouring, without success, to force the door. Pausing for breath, he looks curiously at the circular lens to the right of the door, then casts his eyes downward. At his feet is something familiar. Doctor's piece of mica. He picks it up. He looks thoughtfully back at the lens, the covering of which has been removed. Elect leads Axis and a group of pikemen into the ruins of the learning hall. Outraged, he confronts Selris. Well, are you satisfied with your efforts? Seven of his working party are unaccounted for. There are four badly injured and I think two are going to die. They will be attended to. I am making arrangements. No. You've done enough already. But you are the one who wanted to fight with the Crotons. I'll fight them in my own way, in my own time. I tell you, my way is better. Inside the machine, the Crotons are invulnerable. But if we can draw them out... You've had your chance. Look what you've done. 
The learning hall is ruined. Our people are dead and wounded, and the machine is untouched. The machine is damaged! Damaged. It must be destroyed. I will launch a mass attack with slings and fireballs. They're in position now. And the Crotons will turn our city into another wasteland. Don't be a fool, Elect! Elect kneels and uncovers the remains of a young Gond, crushed beneath a heap of rubble. You see what your stupidity has done? You are a traitor. You were dismissed as leader of the council. You had no authority to order this attack. The leadership of the council is hereditary. My son Thara will replace me. No, I have replaced you. Arrest him. Wait. Elek, this is no time for us to be fighting amongst ourselves. Let me help you organize... I have no need of your help. I said I would bring the crotons out of the machine. The dinotrope door is opening. Oh to reveal the imposing figure of Croton II, its dispersion carbine aimed at the terrified guns. His mouth dry, Elek steps forward. Stop! What do you want? Where are the high brains? I don't understand. The two alien creatures are needed. Where are they? He means the doctor and Zoe. What do you want with that? Unimportant. Produce them. They're not here. Where are they? You say you need them. Why are they so important to you? You never left your machine before. Do not argue. The Croton casually turns and fires its weapon at one of the onlookers. The others watch appalled as the unfortunate Gond burns away to nothing. Why did you do that? He was doing you no harm. Produce the high brains in 15 minutes. If we give you the strangers, will you leave us in peace? The high brains will enable us to operate the drive mechanism of the Dynatrope. You mean you will go? You will leave our world? Yes. But if the two high brains are not brought to the Dynatrope, you will all be dispersed. Do you understand? Very well. If you leave us, you shall have them. Jamie has finally figured out the doctor's earlier trick and is wedging the piece of mica into the photoelectric cell. The exit door begins to open, then stops, leaving a space just large enough to crawl through. In the learning hall... But why are you like... It's only a few hours since you wanted to fight the Krothal. If we give them the strangers, they will leave us in peace. But the Doctor and Zoe are our friends. They risk their lives for us. I put the interests of our own people first. I keep them all under guard. Jamie is straining to squeeze through the narrow gap. Uh, Doctor! Jamie! Quick! Jamie, watch out for the poison jet! It's stepped in a bag! No. We've got to get you out of here! Uh, no. Jamie! That's just another inch, I think. You're getting caught. Oh, Taking Jamie by his arms, they yank him to freedom. The acid jets miss the fleeing trio by inches. Oh, what's been happening? I thought that machine was going to shake itself to pieces. There's no time to explain, Jamie. How are you feeling? Well, good. Hey? There's something I want you to do for me. Oh, no, Our again. Peter is making some special sulfuric acid for us. I want you to go and tell him to make it in bulk. Yes, as much as he can. But, but There's no time to argue now. Hurry. We'll see you back at the learning hall. Elec is deploying his pikemen around the learning hall. The strangers are coming back. You to stay here, the rest come with me. As they nurse the unconscious Thara, Selris and Varna watch Elek's preparations. They're going to walk into a trap. Yes. 
Elec claims to act for the people, but his only concern is his own skin. If only we could warn the doctor. He and the girl could get away in their space machine. I agree. We owe them the chance to escape. Thick yellow smoke billows from a cauldron around Beta's laboratory, choking Beta and Jamie. How long will it be? Both have cloths tied round their faces to protect their airways as they work. How long will it be? I don't know. It's not going to explode, is it? I don't know. What? I don't know. Well, I thought you were supposed to be the scientist. Well, I've never worked with acid before. But crotons forbid it. Shall we put a bit more in? Oh, why ask me? <coughs> Let's see what happens. We can only blow ourselves up. Peter takes a pan of powdered sulphur over to the bubbling mixture and feeds it in. He and Jamie stagger back, their eyes watering as a further cloud of stinging steam erupts forth. Do you think that's enough? Uh, well, it's enough for me anyway. Quite enough. In the learning hall, Thar is recovering. You distract Axis's attention while I slip away. But there are men on the stairs. I might be able to dodge by them. Anything's worth trying. Yes, there is just a chance. But be ready. Axis, a minute. What is it? In the past, you have always accepted my judgment. Believe me, the Crotons are not to be trusted. I don't trust them. But Elec's right, we're doing the only thing we can. But if we surrender the Doctor and Zoe, we ourselves will be killed. What do you mean? I'm sure of it. The Crotons don't care for us. They never have. But while we have the Doctor and Zoe, we have a means of negotiation. If we don't hand over the strangers, they'll kill us anyway. You're getting old, Celeris. Your arguments make no sense. He turns away. Stop! Stop that girl! Varna is running up the stairs. She reaches the doorway at the top, but three guards bar her way. As the protesting girl is dragged away, she drops the little bottle of acid. Unnoticed by their captors, Celris picks it up. Technical readouts flash across the Dynatrope's computer screens. Ballad zero plus twelve. We have reserve power for twenty-seven more minutes. Then we shall exhaust. Our function will end. The doctor leads Zoe down the steps into the learning hall. What do we do next? But well, if only we can get inside that machine again, Zoe. Elec and his guards appear. You can, Doctor. Huh? We'll help you into it. Oh, that's very good. What? What's this? Oh, you hold us! The Crotons watch on their monitors. The high brains have been captured. Balance check. Zero plus nine. Exhaust time, 22 minutes. Shall I open the Dynatrope? Only the two high brains must enter. I'll take them up. Really? We will not be bullied. Don't push. Vana, Vana, have you got that bottle? It's vital. The high blades will enter immediately. I think we'd better do as they say, Doctor. Vana. Elex guards propel the Doctor and Zoe past Celeris towards the Dynatrope. Vana desperately searches her person for the little bottle of acid. The high brains are entering the Dynatrope. Prepare for takeoff. Phase one. Phase one ready. Shall I destroy the guns now? They are of no value. No. The dispersion units use power. We have no power to waste. Frantic, Varna turns to Celris. That bottle, Celris. It's all right. I have it here. The doctor needs it. He says it's vital. Celris sprints up the ramp. Come back! He hurls himself through the closing doorway. 
As the Doctor and Zoe stepped through the inner door into the Dynatrope's control room, the Crotons turned from their monitors to face them. I believe you wish to speak with us. Doctor! Look out! As Celris passes the Doctor the bottle, Croton 2 fires its weapon. The Gond leader is vaporised in moments. Zoe turns away in anguish, burying her head in the Doctor's shoulder. He gives her a comforting hug. Set the intergalactic link. A four-sided console with attached headsets rises from the well in the floor. Take off. Phase two. Repeat your transfer. All systems set. You will assist us now. Assist you? In what way? The Dynatrope will exhaust in 12 minutes. Well, that's your problem. No, no, sir. If this machine does run down, there will be the most colossal release of energy enough to destroy us, the protons, and most of the planet. If you want us to help you, you must explain what you want us to do. What is this thing? It transfers the Dynatrope back to our own cosmos. It operates through mental power. You've discovered a way of using mental power... And you Crotons haven't enough. Four high brains are needed in relay. There are only two of us. Then how did you get here? No more questions. If you want us if you want us to cooperate, you must expect questions. Unless you do as we order, you will be dispersed. Very well. But that won't help you, will it? We're wasting time. The Dynatrope was part of a battle fleet. Two of our crew were exhausted by enemy fire. You mean they were killed? Ceased to function. We carried out the emergency procedure and landed on the nearest planet. To conserve power, we sent the Dynatrope in perpetual stability. Oh, I see. And you set the, the machine's systems to educate the Gons up to the standard you require? Yes. They were primitives. Well, you didn't have to kill them to do that. Gone samples were brought in for testing at intervals. The Dynatrope absorbed their mental power into its circuits. The waste matter was rejected and dispersed. Nine minutes to exhaust time, Commander. As Beta and Jamie manoeuvre a large drum of acid down the learning hall steps, Elix men jostle past them. They reach the bottom and Axis steps forward. Where do you think you're going? What's that? It's something called acid. The doctor asked me to make it for him. He won't be needing that now. You've been wasting your time. Oh, where is he then? He's joined the Crotons. You mean he's gone into the machine? Well, what about Zoe? Zoe too. The Crotons wanted them and Elex surrendered them. You did what? The Crotons need your friends to enable them to leave our world. And you just handed them over, did you? If the Crotons will leave our world, they're welcome to your friends. Careful, Jamie. It's time we were leaving. Leaving? Unless you want to die. What are you talking about, Elec? Peter, for a scientist, you're very stupid. This learning hall in most of our city is built around that Crotons machine. And once that machine starts moving off, the whole place will come down. Exactly, and you'll be buried alive. Right, well, I'm staying. Somehow I'm going to get the Doctor and Zoe out of there. Peter? Yes, I'll stay and help you. Good. Vana? I'll stay and look after Thara. I'm not sensible enough to run away and leave my friends. No. Let them stay. Let them die. Elec and Axis leave. 
He could be right, you know. Uh, maybe so. But I'm not going down without a fight. Now, where do we put the stuff? Crawlton 1 gestures towards the intergalactic link. Put on the heat seats. Uh, just a moment. If we're going to help you transfer the Dinotrope back to your own planet, what's going to happen to us? You will suffer no harm. Well, how can we be sure of that? We die without oxygen, you see. Uh, just as you would die if anyone was to upset the stuff you're drawing from that tank. Surreptitiously, the doctor passes the acid bottle to Zoe. Take up your positions. Well, I was merely trying to explain that if anyone was to contaminate what was in that tank, you'd know what it was like to breathe poisoned air. Six minutes. Holding the unstopped bottle behind her, Zoe sidles towards the tank and drops it in. You have no choice. Put on the headset. Oh, well, I, I suppose we better just take your word for it then. Set the transfer link. Final phase. On automatic. Now then, uh, <coughs> where do you want us to stand? Unimportant. Oh, well, I'll stand over here then. Oh, oh, Doctor, I wanted to stand there. Oh, my dear. Oh, well, you stand there and I'll stand here. Better still. A much better idea. I'll stand here and you stand Put over there. Put on the headset or you will be dispersed. All right, all right. How do, how do you wear these things? He fumbles with his headset. Give it time. Oh, Butterfingers. Doctor, you are clumsy. Enough of this. Put on the headset. Well, it's your fault. You're making me nervous. Unable to stall any longer, the Doctor and Zoe comply. Immediately, feeling the tug at their minds, they wince in pain. Suddenly, Croton 1 sways drunkenly and collapses. The Doctor rips off the two headsets and pulls Zoe away. As Croton 2 topples backwards to the floor, its gun discharges harmlessly at the ceiling. Cautiously, the Doctor and Zoe approach the fallen leviathans. Already, their crystalline bodies are melting away into pools of vaporising slurry. Look, it's dissolving! Yes. Yes, it's returning to its basic form. Yes, we must get out of here. Look, Zoe, machine is melting. The walls are softening and sliding into glutinous puddles. Come on, let's get out of here before we're trapped. They make for the entrance hatch and out into the ruined learning hall. Behind them, the Dynatrope's liquefaction is accelerating. They descend the steps to the underhall, where they find Jamie, Beta and a couple of gone helpers pouring the last of their steaming acid around one of the Dynatrope's support legs. <laughs> Sorry, what happened? Did you get out all right? How yes. are you? Yes, all right, a little bit shaken, but not half so bad as the crotons, I can assure you. What are you doing here? Van is helping Thara to his feet. Look at the machine! It's working, Thara. Look, it's working. The whole dome is bubbling and sinking in on itself. Well, we reckoned if the doctor thought it worthwhile experimenting with a few drops, we'd see what a few gallons would do. Well done. <laughs> How did you know the machine would dissolve? Mm -hmm. Well, the machine was 80% uh, tellurium, Zoe, and tellurium is soluble in sulfuric acid. But the machine wasn't pure tellurium. 
No, well, the, the acid wasn't pure sulfuric acid, but it worked, didn't it? Come along, let's get away. I don't like goodbyes. The three time travellers slip away up the stairs. The Dynatrope has now almost completely decomposed. Peter, Thara and Varna watch jubilantly. It's finished now, isn't it? Yes, it is finished. The end of the Crotons. We're free at last. We still have Elec to deal with. That will be my pleasure. I shall take over from my father as leader of the Gons, whatever Elec thinks. And we can develop our own science. The Doctor can help. Doctor? They've gone. But I wanted to ask his advice. There's so much to be done. We'll have to find our own answers now, Peter. Out in the wasteland, the TARDIS dematerializes. Next episode, The Seeds of Death. Fraser, thanks for all your hard work today narrating the Crotons for us. Before we start talking about that particular story, I'm interested in the legend, if you like, of how you became a Doctor Who companion in the first place. The story runs that you were originally only hired for the first four episodes that you were in, the story of the Highlanders, and then were asked to stay on. Is that actually the case? Is that your take on it? Yeah, that's what uh, happened. Uh, I was in for four episodes. In fact, we'd actually filmed at French and Ponds, me saying goodbye to the Doctor, Polly and Ben, and the TARDIS disappearing. And Innes Lloyd took me aside and he said, hey, Fraser, old boy, uh, listen, oh, Fra- how do you fancy joining the old TARDIS crew for a year or so, eh? I said, oh, Innes, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what we do, we'll welcome aboard. And it was Innes Lloyd. He had a little white uh, Volkswagen Beetle and, and he took me out somewhere for lunch or something. Just That was the way he put it, you know, ex-Navy man. <laughs> now, then I heard another rumour that... My agent already knew that the BBC had a, an option, but she didn't tell me because I might then be frightened and nervous and, oh, my God, if I'm really good, I, I, I could get a year's work out of it. So mm-hmm. she didn't tell me. But she never did tell me. So mm-hmm. that was just somebody actually said, well, your, you know, your agent didn't know. <laughs> but I never knew that, no. And that's why, you know, for the next stories, um, the, the moon base... Jamie had about four lines. The Phantom Piper! <laughs> and then collapsed again. Yeah. And then in the water menace, the underwater menace, uh, I started to take a couple of Ben's lines and obviously weren't Cockney, so I had to make it a bit Scottish. And, um, you know, if you notice, the, the two stories afterwards, I didn't have a lot to do. You not actually being Scottish, how come you'd been cast in this part of the Young Scotsman in the first place? <clears throat> because I, I, my mother was Scottish and I'd worked with Sean Sutton, who was head of Children's TV at the time, 
long, long, long time ago in the thing called the Silver Sword that people still remember to this day. They, they come up to me, oh, remember you, the thing, that thing about the sword in Germany. And so Sean Sutton, I'd worked with Sean Sutton lots of times when he had this kind of repertory company, this Sunday afternoon serial. The Sean Sutton, we, we did The Long Way Home, Cinderella, uh, oh, lots of shows. And I think it was Sean that said, well, you know, Fraser can do a Scottish accent. And to, what was it like joining a fairly big team of regulars as the junior member? I felt very junior, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say to Annika Wills, I said, every day you'd come to rehearsals, hug Patrick and Michael Craze. I never got a hug. <laughs> she said, I've made up to you since, Fred. I said, yes, you have. But, no, I, you know, you felt very kind of the new boy and who is this? And, and Michael was, we don't need another man in the yeah. TARDIS. Yeah. So there was, I, I felt there was a little bit of... Animosity is the wrong word, but Patrick, not from Patrick at all, because Patrick and I had worked on Smuggler's Bay uh, a long time before when I played John Trenchard. It was a Moonfleet, really. It was originally called, it was a famous book called Moonfleet, but because uh, BBC had Moon Strike on at the time about Lysander aircraft dropping in people in World War II, they called it Smuggler's Bay. Mm. So I was with John Phillips, and Patrick played this old smuggler. So he, he, he and I welcomed each other with yeah. open arms. You mentioned also things like the, you know, the Phantom Paper, and it was very obvious more so, I think, in the earlier episodes, that Jamie was not as intelligent as the other people and certainly had a much greater element of superstition in his makeup. He was Well, quite rightly so. Yeah, I mean, he was from a more primitive age. He'd seen candles, not electric lights. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. I think, bless him, he took, took quite well, really. <laughs> pushing a button and suddenly the, the room was lit without having to light a candle. Yeah. That did mutate over the years. Obviously, in three years in the TARDIS, you're going to learn a bit, aren't you? <clears throat> when the doctor let him. I mean, sometimes yeah. he went to press a button on the TARDIS and the doctor... <laughs> Jamie slapped his wrist. No, don't you touch that. So Jamie was there kind of for the, for the brawn and, yes, and uh-huh. Patrick was there for the brains. <laughs> but I, I loved Jamie. I loved his character. I loved his, his Jamieisms. It's, he could say things which were quite foolish, but in actual fact, in retrospect, no, they're quite, you know, he, he hadn't seen electric lights and the big, what's that big flying beastie? Oh, it was an aeroplane you know, when he landed at, at Gatwick Airport. Big hairy beastie flying in the sky. You know, it was a beastie to him. It was like a big bird, you know, mm-hmm. until the doctor had to explain it's an aeroplane. Aeroplane, what a minute, you know. Having come in as the companion almost by the back door, well, they couldn't get rid of you, could they? You, you and Pat were there for three no. years together. We were there. In fact, I, and I still say, Hand on Hut would still be there now. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have an agent at the time, say, oh, darling, you've done three years of television, I must get you to films now, I must get you to films now. Uh, Richard O'Sullivan does films, and Susan George is doing films. He must do films. I said, but no, I want to stay where I am, I'm happy. And Patrick had his wife at the time saying, oh, Patrick, you know, you'd go home at night, you're, you're much better than children's television, you ought to be doing different things, you know. But Patrick and I were having a ball. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a 52-week-a-year treadmill. We had about two months, maybe three months off in the summer... So, you know, it was one, you could go away and do something else. It, we were having a ball, and particularly, I was saying, you know, if we'd known Leela was going to join, uh, <laughs> I think that would have been great, because Leela in a loincloth and a knife and Jane in a kilt and a, and a dirk, I could, I could see the, the, the doctor up to, here, up to his neck in water, and the, the flood waters are rising, and Leela and Jamie wrestling on the floor whose knife was going to cut the ropes, you know. While you two are arguing, I'm actually going to be drowning, you know. Be, I could just see the scene, a wonderful scene. And it also suddenly sounds a lot less like children's television. If you, these two scantily clad young people, yes, exactly, yeah, wandering exactly. about in the water, as you in, say, in the, in the water as well. I always say they'd had to shoot me to get me out of the TARDIS if I hadn't had my agent. The, and you can't go home at night and somebody's mithering all the time. In the end, it does mm. play. And I think that's why people said Patrick was getting quite tetchy towards the end. I don't think he was getting tetchy because of the work. He was getting tetchy because he was enjoying himself. But then going home, oh, God, I've got to go home and get a. Are you still doing? Have you signed another year for that stupid 
TV show, you know. Mm. Because you were there more or less as a fixture for the three years, it meant that you saw quite a lot of different girls coming in and out of the show. In the, the first instance, you had Pauline Collins very briefly. Well, you we tried to get Pauline famous. Collins in, in the faceless ones. You know, she was the the cheekiest kind of love interest. You know, and, and Jamie fancied it. We well, always fancied all the women. But you know, we we intimated that wouldn't it be nice if if she joined us, uh, and they they put it to her, but she didn't want to get tied up in a long running series, and so her career was ruined because she didn't do Doctor Who and just won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Pauline, what did you do? Fancy that. To come to the Crotons specifically, it was interesting that it was, I think, during episode three there that you suddenly turned around to me and said, is that Philip Maddock? So you, yes. you managed to go quite a way into it without realising whose voice you were listening yes. to. Yeah. Because it, well, I didn't hear a lot on the, you know, I didn't uh-huh. hear the complete scenes. You heard one, let them go. <laughs> I've arrived. Yeah, that's all I heard. And I thought, uh-huh. hang on after a while. I, I, but I don't remember Philip being in the Croton story. I remember in, in the war games mm-hmm. and we meet at conventions and we always have a laugh and a joke, but I never remembered him doing that. And Bernard Kay, who played the, the Scottish inspector in The Faceless Ones, years later, and again, we, we never remarked on it. He didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up. We uh, worked together. He played my father-in-law in Emmerdale for a long while. So, mm-hmm. and, and yet... When I saw the, the face, I thought, that's Bernard Kay. Isn't that well, he never said we've worked together before. As a little boy actor, I worked with James Cairncross. I think James Cairncross was, played the, the priest in Smuggler's Bay. Mm-hmm. So I'd known James and also a couple of other TV, BB, early BBC days, it shows. I'd worked with James Cairncross before. And again, I, I heard that, this, you know, just one word, and you think, that sounds like James Cairncross. And of course... And also... Um, the other Jimmy, James Copeland, because I remember him, and of course people call me Jamie, and he went, I was totally wrong, it's Jimmy, it should be Jimmy, it's not Jimmy. I said, no, no, I like, the, I like Jamie, I like the name Jamie. Jamie's a lovely word, very nice, nice name. It should be Jimmy, and I said, no, no, we're sticking with Jamie, and I'm glad I put my foot down, because, you know, anyway, Jimmy McCrimmon, it doesn't sound so good, but Jamie McCrimmon, I think. Yeah. Is... Jimmy would very much more have been a, a more of a, a lowland way of putting it, wouldn't it? Mm. More of a Glaswegian name than a Highlander's yes, name. that's right, yes. yes. But we started, I mean, in the Highlanders, you know, God forbid, we started the practical jokes very soon, because we always had practical jokes. We had this stuffed rat that had to be pushed into shot. Ah, there's a rat, and this rat. And I went to the wardrobe department, had a little word with them, and on one of the final rehearsals, we went, here comes the rat. And I'd gotten them to put a little swimming costume on, and little black, dark glasses, and this rat was lying on his back. This rat's going on his holidays. He's going to Australia. We had a lot of little things like that. Mm-hmm. And I still think in the, the one with Peter Barkworth in that Ice Warrior story, we shot it at Christmas, as I recall. I had a Christmas Santa, and I put it on this long panning shot of this, whoosh, all the wind and the snow, and I put the Santa down, and the camera always zoomed into it on rehearsals, you know. And to this day, I don't think any of you removed it. And I, I know that episode is, is intact. And... I'd like to see that story and kind of freeze frame. Now I've got Sky Plus, you can do that. And go, and just see if you can see. Because in black and white, you wouldn't mm-hmm. see this little red Santa. But it would just stand out. Because I, I don't remember ever, ever somebody removing that Santa right. Claus. Mm-hmm. Just to go back to the Crotons for a moment, it was the first exposure to your era of the show for a, a whole generation of fans. Because it was the only Patrick Troughton story to be repeated 
for a very long time. In 1981, it was repeated on BBC Two. Did you sit and watch it again, you know, all those 12, 13 years I did, years and I thought, why are they showing that one? Because it wasn't, I must admit, you know, it wasn't our most favourite story. Uh, Rumour has it, it was sort of thought up very quickly because we had a thing called the prison in space mm-hmm. where we were up in space and, and Patrick and I, and it was completely run by women. And, and years later, the two Ronnies took the script over and called it The Worm That Turned mm-hmm. with Diana Dawes in all those kind of black leather shorts and the girls and the guys had to wear pinafores and stuff. The guy sent me the script years later and said, this is what you should have been doing. And there was a scene where, Perry, you, Jamie, you'll have to dress as a woman. Hey, I can't dress as a woman. You're used to bearing your legs, you know. You're always wearing skirts. It's not a skirt, it's a kilt. Now, well, anyway, you're sharing your legs anyway. You, know, do, you have to dress as a woman to escape. And it would be, be very funny. But then the Crotons, suddenly they were, well, we're short of four episodes, we've got to do something. And it was kind of slung in at the last moment. And it was the first Doctor Who script by Robert Holmes, who went on mm. to be very successful in yeah. terms of the show. You presumably didn't therefore have any indication at the time you wrote that one that this was a guy with a very bright future ahead of him in no, television. No, yeah. not at all. He wrote two that you were involved in early on, which would be the Crotons and the Space Pirates. No, I like the Space Pirates. I preferred the Space Pirates. Mm-hmm. That was a much better story. But I wish they'd, you know, repeated another one of ours you mm-hmm. know, instead. Mind you, how many, how many complete sets? Of... Uh, at that stage, there were five. There's now six because they found Tomb of the Cybermen a few years later. Oh, that's right. Of course, yes. it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yes, there was only five, and they're all from that last season. Five complete stories? Yes. Uh, oh, that's, that's more than I thought. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I thought there was only about three, the War Games, the Crotons, and something else. Oh, that's, that's pleasing to know, that if they ever repeat it, they've got, they can repeat something else. Oh, yes. I was speaking to somebody a couple of years ago at a convention, and he said, oh, no, you know, we might be showing some Doctor Who's, you know, repeat. Oh, marvellous. He said, no, don't, don't get excited, Fraser. We're not showing yours, because you're in black and white. I went, what do you mean? It was a policy at the BBC not to show black and white. I said, oh, what a pity, so you can't show any Humphrey Bogart films, a lot of Spencer Tracy movies, all those lovely old, you know... Well, well, I said, no, if, if, you know, you're not going to show... Black and white, I think t- TV is more frightening black and white. Blood always looks terrible in colour, mm. and shadows are better in black and white. You can never quite blacken them out in colour. The Crotons was one of the first Doctor Who jobs that David Maloney did. But he was a nice man, David, yeah. a very good director, an actor's director as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew if you were fooling about in a scene, you know, get it out now at rehearsals rather than start to get the giggles, you know, at Lime Grove on the Saturday, you know. Was that um, a particular issue on the Crotons, given that the monsters that you were looking at were not the most agile and mobile and convincing things in the world? No, and I think it was written during apartheid or very strong. So that's why I think they sounded very kind of like the Gonge, you know, very sort of these South African accents. Get the Gonge. Suck all their memories out. When you said he was an actor's director, what what really do you mean by that? Some of them want you to be deadline per DLP, you know, no paraphrasing, you know, don't change a line. The, the writer's written all this. Now you must say every line. Don't mess about. And you stand on here, stand on that mark. Um, you're not allowed to re- enjoy rehearsals. We had a we had one particular director who made you have marks on the church floor on, where we rehearsed. J1, J2. No, no, you're not on J2, though. Move. My cameras are like this. And then we got to the studio, and he got his cameras, and we went, the set's wrong. So we just moved the... No, 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 my cameras are right. Move the set. And it, well, that was... Um, well, if I tell you the story, you'll know who the director was. <laughs> so we all broke for about an hour and a half while everybody had to move the set round. So these cameras were there, and there was the door for the set, not sort of move the camera round. Mm-hmm. So and he was a oh, he was a stickler yeah. for, for mm-hmm. you know and not a not a great one for allowing you to re- enjoy rehearsals. 
I mean, some directors like Dougie Camfield would say, right, we're going to do a uh, speed run now, and you're all Irish. And that you, you, you certainly knew your lines back, you know, if you didn't know your lines quickly in Irish, you, know, you knew, oh, I don't know that scene very well. Yes. <laughs> you came back to the role of Jamie a couple of times later on. Well, I, I got a phone call from J&T, because I'd seen him, obviously, at functions mm-hmm. in, in America, con- conventions in Chicago and places. <clears throat> and he said, do you ever fancy... Oh, I said, oh, I'd love to, I'd love to do some more. So he, um, he... I was doing pantomime. I was in Emmerdale at the time. And he said, right, Fraser, I want you to do The Five Doctors. Do you, I'm going to have you and Patrick together, uh, John and, and Sarah Jane or whoever, and, you know, and all the doctors meet up. I said, marvellous, marvellous. So I rang Yorkshire TV. I said, oh, by the way, when I finish pantomime, I, I, I won't be back for another five or six weeks. Oh, no, no, we want you back in Emmerdale. I said, well, no, when I finish pantomime, I want to extend the time off. No, no, you can't do that. We want you back. So I rang J&T. He went, oh, well, listen, Fred, I'm, I want you in it. So I tell you what, um, ring me up if you've got a day's filming or something. Free, you know, come down. And as luck would have it, I got a couple of days off. I said, oh, I've got next Wednesday, Thursday off. He's right, come on Wednesday. He sent me the script, and it was two lines. It was, Doctor, are you? Ah, oh, kind of thing. Five doctors. And I just wanted to go down and see Patrick and the gang, so... I got to the rehearsal room and it was great and wonderful. Then we shot the next day and J&T, when I finished, uh, he said, Fraser, it was just like I'd taken you and Patrick out of the prop cupboard, dusted you down with the cobwebs, wound a key in your back. And he said, it was just like 16 years of not being gone. Would you do some more? I said, I'd love to. And I would say, if I'd rung up J&T and said, if only give me two lines in the five docs, I was like, doctor, and ah, I can't be bothered to come all the way down to London for two days. You know, stick it. I would never have done the two doctors. Mm. So then, when that, that came back, again, I'd agreed to go back to Emmerdale because I got divorced. My mother had died, so I'd agreed to go back to Emmerdale. And I was kicking myself because I'd love to have said to J and T, "Look, I'm loving this so much, and you've got Perry, the attractive girl. You've got the doctor. What about a male assistant? You know." And Perry and Jamie would really kind of. Hi, I'm this American gal, and what are you wearing a skirt for and all that? It, I think it'd be, it would have worked really well, but of course I agreed. Because if he'd said, well, Fraser, do you want to you know, come back, you know, we can, mm-hmm. you know, th- after the two doctors, I would have stayed again, I would have come back and stayed, because I love the show so much. Yeah. When you did come back for the two doctors again, though, that was one written by Robert Holmes, mm. at this stage, who had a reputation as being one of the best Doctor yeah, Who writers. Lovely story. Did that. you notice by that stage a difference in, in what you were, mm. you were being given? Yeah. yeah. Mm. That was a great story. Uh, really good story, and you know, three forty-five minutes episodes, um, which I thought was well, not going to work because Doctor Who's used to sort of half an hour. Is he going to die? Half an hour is going to die. But forty-five, you know, at least we had cliffhangers. Something that couldn't possibly have happened in your time on the show the first time around was that you, you got sent to Spain for a few days. It's a hard life. We were supposed to be filming in New Orleans. Oh yeah, it was yes. supposed to be uh, the two Doctors in New Orleans, but the American money at the last minute pulled out, and we all think, oh, we're not going to go away. And it was Sue Anstruther, I think. The, the lady in charge of the money at BBC said, well, all right, I'll let you go to to Europe. So we went to Seville and had some marvellous time. We had a great time in Seville filming. Mm-hmm. You've also um, revisited a lot of your old stuff because you get to watch these things to do commentaries for DVDs. Oh, they're great fun. Yeah, yeah. they were lovely. To re- you know, when we saw The Invasion, when mm-hmm. we did the commentary, Paddles and myself, you know, it was, that was great. And, and it's amazing. You know, people say, Fraser, oh, how do you remember that? That's 30 years ago, whatever. I said, because I think happy times you remember, happy times, and your brain erases sad and, and unhappy times. And I've had so much happy times. You know. Though I don't remember the kayak scene in the invasion. I don't remember Patrick and I getting into this kayak and paddling around the canoes. But I was, I was able to come up with that gag, you know. Oh, I remember the day Patrick's feet were cold. 
So he wanted a little paraffin heater put in the, in the little kayak. And the director said, no, you can't. Why not? Well, you can't have your kayak and heat it. And everybody in the... Oh, God. I said, but no. And, of course, we had lovely Kevin Stoney, who was a lovely... Yes, uh, lovely, very still. Doesn't have, you don't have to sort of jump about and snarling. You know, uh, he was a lovely villain. It was interesting, and uh, you picking the invasion in particular, because, of course, that's the one where a couple of episodes... Which no longer uh, well, exists. Yeah, they're animated. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, we watched them, Palace and I. We thought, "Cracker, they're better than we are." <laughs> we better watch it. But uh, no, I like that animation, and uh, it, it's it'd be nice if they actually did the Highlanders in, in animation because it was a very good story. It's only four episodes, but it was a very good story. And if they got the audio there, it'd be great to see. Mm-hmm. Why'd you it, pick that one in particular? Well, people always say, "What was your favourite episode?" And I always say, "The Highlanders," because mm-hmm. if I didn't do the Highlanders, I'd never done three years of, of Happy Doctor Who. So the Highlanders was one, you know, and also I think it was the last historical one in my tenure mm. we did, you know. Although, tell I, we, we did go back to Victorian times for Deborah's first story, mm-hmm. uh, that her Dalek story. Would, but no, that'd, that'd be fun to see that. Mm-hmm. Many people think it's a shame that they stopped doing the historical stuff quite so much in Doctor Who because period drama is something the BBC's always been able to do. It's, yes, you know, very it, well too, yeah. You mentioned um, Emmerdale, which is the other main part that you would be recognised mm. for on the street. I'm very fortunate that people stop me in the street and they say, hello, Fraser, when are you coming back to television? What are you, do? you know, we miss you on television. I said, well, ring up BBC, ring up ITV. But they know the real name. They don't go, oh, weren't you Joe? It's, hey, Joe, you know. Um, and when I was in Emmerdale, at the time, we used to do public appearances, and Ronnie McGill played Amos. He said, you know, Fraser, whenever I do a, a PA, they always say, how's Annie, how's Jack, and how's Fraser? They always know your... I said, Ronnie, I've been in the business since I was nine years old, and you know, and, and I've, I fought to, to know, let people know that Fraser Hines plays Joe, not Joe is played by. Uh, what, I think it's fortunate having Fraser Hines is a, a memorable name, not like Martin Joan. You know, Fraser Hines is a it's quite a strong name, so I'm quite pleased. And, and people do stop me in the street and they, you know, and they say, "Do you mind being recognised?" Not at all. I'm recognised for two of the top shows. A lot of actors can go through their whole career being known for nothing. Yeah. I'm still known for, you know, Jamie and and, uh, Mm -hmm. Joe. I don't mind at all. 